studying the subject of forgiveness. And I think about forgiveness and the importance of the meaning of words. Words have meanings, and the meaning is very important. The meaning helps us with communication, with understanding. And I think one of the issues when it comes to the topic of forgiveness is the lack of understanding the meaning of forgiveness. We have been seeing through this series how there is a vast range of meanings and teachings about forgiveness. Amen? There is a vast range of meanings, how people define forgiveness, how people see forgiveness, and that creates a lot of confusion. Some of you might ask, if it's so complicated, why should I care? If you have all this bunch of people writing about forgiveness and it becomes so complicated, why should I care? And the answer is very simple. You should care because whether you know or not, you are applying some sort of understanding of forgiveness into your life. There is no escape here. I like what Chris Brown, he writes, he says, And whether you think about it or not, every day you implement those beliefs about forgiveness. Your convictions about forgiveness will shape how you respond when your spouse complains about how you season the chicken. And so many other areas of our lives. The forgiveness choices you make will shape much of your life. For that reason, you must consciously work out what you believe about forgiveness and then intentionally put those beliefs into action. And we must be like good Bereans and work hard, labor, and strive to work out an understanding that's, that's biblical, according to the scriptures, about what forgiveness of sins is. And as we look, as, as you study this subject, we start seeing that there are some very confusing definitions and understanding of forgiveness. Uh, I have been reading a lot about forgiveness, and most definitions of forgiveness, as they're going to come up with a meaning for forgiveness, it's all based on modern psychology. And the primary meaning of forgiveness is a decision to let go of resentment and anger. That's the primary definition that people have of forgiveness. A decision to let go of resentment, bad feelings, hurtful feelings. But then you've got to ask yourself, is that biblical? Because our understanding and our, our pattern of forgiveness must follow God. So is God in the business of letting go his feelings? Is that what forgiveness is? So God needs to let go of his resentment? Is that why he's forgiving people? One very popular definition of forgiveness is to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was who? You. So that's a very popular one. So forgiveness is the releasing of a prisoner. And then you realize that that prisoner was you. Now, I remember listening to this pastor and he had a chair. He was pretending that someone, someone had been kidna kidnapped. And, and it was really cool. And that was his whole theology of forgiveness. Forgiveness is releasing that prisoner. And then you realize that that prisoner is you. So that sounds really cool. But is it biblical? Is that how God forgives? Is that why God forgives? 
So is God on the business of releasing himself? So God is a prisoner who needs to be released. So do you see how the meaning is important, the understanding is important, and you start seeing how there is so much confusion about that. And then so much of forgiveness becomes what? Feelings. It's your feelings. You need to deal with your feelings. Is that biblical? Is that scripturally right? Is that what forgiveness is all about so you can feel better? Is that why God is forgiving so he can feel better about himself? So today we're going to start the journey through the more practical application of forgiveness. Today's sermon number eight, I believe we had seven sermons tracing a, a biblical theology of forgiveness from Genesis to Revelation. Then we spent some time in, in, in Luke chapter 15. Today we're going, to start being, we're going to start looking at the what, what is forgiveness, what forgiveness is not. Who? Who do we forgive? Who receives forgiveness? When? When do we forgive? When do we, we, we withhold forgiveness? Why do we forgive? How do we forgive? So those are the questions we are going to be answering through the next sermons. And there's just so much to unpack. We cannot do that. So some people said, oh, you're going to spend two years. Like, no, don't worry about that. <laughs> A few more sermons and you're going to be done. But today... We are going to be looking at what? The what? And today and next Lord's Day, we're going to be looking at the what of forgiveness. Okay? What is forgiveness of sin? So here's the outline of this morning's sermon. We are going to look at the first question is, what is forgiveness of sins? And then we're going to look at divine forgiveness and then Christian forgiveness. And then we're going to start our journey through what isn't forgiveness of sins. That's important too. So let's move to the first one. And what is Forgiveness of sins. If you are studying forgiveness through the scriptures, let's suppose that you get some Hebrew and Greek dictionaries and you're trying to find out about forgiveness, you're going to see how forgiveness is fascinating because there are so many words and pictures and imageries about forgiveness. And why? Then you need to understand that because sin has different words, sin has different pictures, sin has different imageries. Think about sin. Transgression, rebellion, sin, missing the mark. Then you have images. Sin is pictured as a slave master. Sin is pictured as a beast ready to devour someone. Sin is pictured as a disease, sickness. So you have all these images of, sick and of sin, and then you understand why the imagery and the pictures for forgiveness are broad. Uh, basically, if you go to the, the Hebrew, you have three major words to send away, to cover, or to bear and carry away. So, here we have the idea of forgiveness is expressed in various metaphors. So, for example, the Hebrew nasa, to send away, as the scapegoat was sent away into the wilderness to bear the sins of the Israelites. It also rendered to be merciful. The Hebrew word kapar from, we have Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. is commonly used for, of atonement, meaning to cover up, as the sacrifice was offered to cover the deficiency of the worshiper. And then you have other words like salah, always refer to God's act of forgiveness. It's never used for man forgiving. It's always God. But let's go of the transgression. He removes it. Another expression is maha, to wipe away. So, 
As you start studying the words for forgiveness, the images, you see that it's always related to sin. Think about sin being removed away, Zechariah 3.9. Cast into the depth of the sea, Micah 7.19. Swept away like a cloud, moved like a cloud, dark cloud. Put behind the back, Isaiah 38.17. Blotted out, washed away. And another very important picture in the New Testament and in the Old Testament is the debt. Forgiveness is pictured as the canceling of a debt. So if you have your Bibles, please open in Psalm 32. You're going to see here how we have a, a wonderful place to study sin and forgiveness of sins. That's Psalm 32. And Psalm 32, just in verses 1 through 5... We see the, the psalmist David there. He has three verbs for forgiveness and then three nouns for sin. So you have transgression, you have sin, you have iniquity. That's very important. Those are the same words used in our first sermon. In our first sermon, we look at Exodus 34 to see the character of God, how he's a forgiving God. And remember, it says, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, patient merciful, abounding steadfast love. And then it says, forgiving what? Forgiving what? Iniquity, transgression, and sin. The same three words that we have right here. Or if we go to Leviticus 16, the main chapter in the whole Old Testament about forgiveness of sins, the major theological ground for understanding forgiveness out of the Old Testament. You remember that Aaron shall lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities, the transgressions, and their sins. And that's a picture of the, how complete the forgiveness will be. So David gives us three words for Sins, showing the completeness of sin, how fully sinful we are. But then he gives three words for forgiveness. He used the word forgiven. Blessed is the one whose transgression is what? Forgiven. Literally, to be lifted, to carry away. Not only that, but he also says whose sin is covered. There is the picture of covering, covering that sin through the blood of the sacrifice. And then the third one is what? Counts not. And that comes to the accounting language of debt. That's a very interesting word. The same word that using Genesis 15 when the Lord counts Abraham as righteous. But now he's not counting our sins. So there's a play with the words here for David. David did not cover up his sins. And then what did God do? God covered. You see, David did not cover. I'm not going to cover. I did not cover my sins. And then what does the Lord do? The Lord covers. Once there is confession of sins, there is a way to cover that sin. David also used the language of debt. It counts not. We are going to see more about that. But what is beautiful here is how the psalm starts. What, what is the first word in Psalm 32? Blessed. Blessed. We, we hear so much about blessing. Do you want to be blessed? You want to be blessed. You see bumper stickers and, and all sorts of things. Blessed, blessed. And the greatest blessings to 
have what? Your sins forgiven. Blessed is the man whose sin is covered, transgression forgiven. So there is the joy here. So as we look at the words, as we were studying this whole theological development of forgiveness, here is a definition of divine forgiveness. We are going to start with divine forgiveness, God's forgiveness. We don't start with our forgiveness, always God. Our pattern is after God. So here's a, as we think about God's forgiveness, how he forgives, we must remember that God's forgiveness or divine forgiveness is always an action, a decision, and a promise. That's what divine forgiveness is. So after we study, here's how we can define divine forgiveness. Divine forgiveness is the merciful. It's all by mercy. We don't deserve that. We don't deserve forgiveness. It's merciful. It's the merciful and righteous covenantal work for those who are in covenant with the Lord of our holy and loving God by which He removes from the sinner the guilt, the legal, and the familial liabilities of his sin. Declaring the way and clearing the way for a restored relationship between God and the sinner. Those are very important factors when you're thinking about forgiveness of sins. It's merciful. It's righteous because it matches God's character. He removes the guilt, the legal, the familial liabilities. And now the way is paved for us to have relationship restored with God. And then we can say that the grounds for this forgiveness is the work of Jesus Christ. And the conditions for this forgiveness are repentance and faith on the part of the sinner. So that's a definition of... And we need to have a clear definition. Otherwise, we're going to start buying the definition that sells out there. Unbiblical definition. Oh, it's just the release of your feelings. Just letting go of bad feelings. God is not in the business of releasing his bad feelings. That's not God's business. Uh, Chris Brown, he says, very similar, came across this book on Friday. And I just devoured this book. It was very good. Uh, Friday evening, Unpacking Forgiveness. And, uh, and then I saw, man, it's very similar here. His definition is God's forgiveness, a commitment by the one true God to pardon graciously those who repent and believe so that they are reconciled to Him. Although this commitment does not eliminate all consequences. Hmm. So, as we are thinking about forgiveness, God's forgiveness towards us, we need to just behold this beautiful, merciful, covenantal work whereupon God covers, He removes, He throws into His back the debt that we had. Removing our guilt, so we are no longer guilty before Him. And not only that, but now He's bringing us closer to Him. There is relationship restored. The main goal of forgiveness of sin is not just to remove the guilt. But just like the Father in the parable. To throw His arms against our neck and embrace us and bring us back. Because that's how the relationship was in the Garden of Eden before the fall. It was His loving relationship. Communion. Sin breaks the relationship. Forgiveness of sin restores that. And we see that, for example, in Isaiah 59, verse 2. That's the consequence of sin. Your iniquities, ha your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. 
Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. That's why the great benediction, may his face shine upon you. Do not hide his face, but now to shine through the forgiveness of your sins. So Ken Sandy, he writes, When we repent of our sins and God forgives us, He releases us from the penalty of being separated from Him forever. That's the greatest blessing of all. We are in fellowship with Him once again. Through forgiveness, God tears down the walls that our sins have erected. And He opens the way for a renewed relationship. My sin, oh the bliss, my sin not in part but the whole. Is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Fully forgiven, fully restored. That's God's forgiveness. Amen? Amen. So once we define the glory of divine forgiveness, now we can move to Christian forgiveness. Uh, and the Bible talks about Christian forgiveness. How Christians are to forgive one another. That's very important. Forgiving one another. Uh, Paul says, be kind to one another, Ephesians 4.32, tender heart, forgiving one another. How? As God in Christ forgave you. The as here serves as the motivation for forgiving. What is the motivation? God has forgiven us in Christ. He has forgiven us, so we have the motivation to forgive others. Not only the motivation, but the pattern. The pattern, how God forgives, we must to imitate as much as we can. And we need to remember that we are not divine, we are not God, we are not little gods. So our forgiveness of sins will never be identical as God's. We must keep that in mind. Oh, but that's how God forgives. Yes, and we must imitate as much as we can, but we are not God. We are not omniscient, we are not completely, fully holy and perfect. But there is a pattern, there is a motivation coming from God that we must imitate. Amen? Two dimensions as we are thinking about Christian forgiveness. And one is the vertical as we are dealing with someone who sinned against us and, and there is the necessity of trying to forgive and restore. So there are always two dimensions here. There is the vertical and there is the horizontal with forgiveness. The vertical is always possible. Why? I go to the Lord and I cast upon Him. So and so sinned against me. That was, that was really hurtful. But before He sinned against me, He sinned against you, Lord. And I place this upon your feet. That's yours. That's the vertical or judicial element. And there is also the horizontal. The horizontal is not always possible. I like what Paul Tripp says. He says, forgiveness is a vertical commitment followed by a horizontal transaction. But you cannot always perform that transaction. Forgiveness begins by your giving the offense to the Lord. And that's exactly what we see with Paul. So, for example, in 2 Timothy 4.14, look how Paul says to Timothy, Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. He sinned against me terribly. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. What is Paul doing? There is no way horizontal. 
vertical. Lord, it's yours. I'm casting to you. You deal with that, Lord. It's not a case of Paul absolving or setting Alexander free of what he has done. By no means. Actually, it's the opposite. He's distancing himself from Alexander by giving to the Lord. It's God's responsibility to deal with that man. The Lord will revenge, not Paul. Amen? So, as we think about these two aspects, the vertical, horizontal, we can think about judicial and relational. Judicial, when we surrender the case, the sin, the offense to the judge of all the earth. That's the Lord. Lord, it's here. That sin, first of all, was not against me, it was against you. And I'm cast upon you, Lord. And there is also the relational. The transaction of grace between the person who has committed the offense and the person who has been offended once repentance and confessions of sins are performed. So with all this in mind, now we can come to a definition of Christian forgiveness. So Christian forgiveness, the forgiveness that there is between us in the body of Christ. Christian forgiveness is a merciful, why merciful? Because nobody deserves forgiveness. It's merciful. It's a merciful, a covenantal act, very similar. Why covenantal? Because it's from the members of the new covenant community. Covenantal act, like God's, of a forgiven sinner to another forgiven sinner, by which the offended party commits himself, he makes a decision and a promise to not use that sin to hinder the relationship based on the repentance of the one who committed the sin. So, Chris Brown, to summarize, he says, Christian forgiveness, a commitment by the offended to pardon graciously the repentant from moral liability and to be reconciled to that person, although not all consequences are necessarily what? Eliminated. Okay. So, a forgiven sinner, once there is repentance, confession, we are making this commitment of the will in light of God's word, in light of God's work in us, to forgive. Cancel that debt and not hold against that person once there was repentance. J. Adams, he says, When you say, I forgive you to another, you make a promise to him. It's a threefold promise. You promise not to remember his sin by not bringing it up to him, to others, or to yourself. The sin is buried, and that promise is sometimes easier to make than to keep. So if, as we think about sin as a debt, and the Bible often pictures sin as a debt. So for example, in Colossians 2, it talks about Christ canceling the record of debt that stood against us. Or Jesus, in, in the Lord's Prayer, He says, forgive us what? Our debts. So you see, it's a debt. And there's so much talk about debt in our nation, right? Student debt. Now we have the, the forgiveness for students' debt. And the idea is that debt simply vanishes into thin air. No, there is no way. A debt remains. Somebody has to pay that. Right? And then they come and take from us. It's like, wait, 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 wait a second. I don't want to forgive that. <laughs> 
Because when I forgive, I'm, I'm saying, I'll pay the debt. <laughs> That's what happens. When you sin against me, you have a debt. And what I'm doing is, I take that debt and I'm, I, I, I'll take care of that debt. In Christ Jesus, I'm going to take care of that debt. And I throw it back there. I'm not holding. So, for example, Lee sins. I sin against Lee. It's more, it's easier to happen. I sin against Lee. Lee has a, he's holding a debt right there against me. And that debt is power. When you, when, you, when you have someone's debt holding, if somebody owes you something, that's power. You can manipulate, you can force things. And that's what we do with people's sins. We, especially in marriage, what happens? People always keep holding that debt and kind of trying to, oh, DC, you did that. Once again, look at that. It's always that debt. What we're supposed to do is just, I pay. I cover, I'll pay for that. We make a willful decision to refuse to use our brothers' and sisters' sins as a weapon of power over their heads when we feel angry at them. So, and also we need to keep in mind the, the goal of forgiveness among Christians is not just the removal of guilt or you can feel better. It's just like God's, is reconciliation. The purpose of forgiveness is always reconciliation. You see, the problem with this whole feeling-driven forgiveness mentality in the church is that it's all about how you can feel better. So you just forgive so you can feel better. So I don't even need to see that person anymore. It's already forgiven. No. True biblical forgiveness has the purpose of what? Restoring reconciliation. Will that always be possible? No. Not on this side of our Christian life. Not on this side. Sins have consequences. The breaking of trust. We are going to see that forgiveness is not the same as blind trust. Trust you gain by effort, by showing yourself. Forgiveness is a free gift that you don't deserve. So... That's very important for us to keep in mind. There are times, most of the times, I would say, when there is forgiveness, there is reconciliation. But there will be times when there is forgiveness, and sadly, because of the consequence of sin, the re reconciliation will not be fully and perfectly restored. Not on this side. If, if the two are Christians, praise the Lord for eternity. Their relationship will be in heaven or in the new heavens and the new earth. But right now, it might not be fully the way we'd like to be. Uh, but also, as we think about Christian forgiveness, it's costly. It's costly. It's not cheap. Forgiveness is a costly decision, a costly promise, and a costly action. Think about our forgiveness. It was very costly. It cost the life of the Son of God. And the same, likewise manner, when we forgive someone, it's costly. It's painful. That's why it's worship. We don't bring anything cheap and, and, and costless to the Lord. Forgiveness is an act of worship because it's costly. So Ken Sandy, he writes, Forgiveness can be a costly activity 
When you cancel a debt, it does not simply disappear. Instead, you absorb a liability someone else deserves to pay. Similarly, forgiveness requires that you absorb certain effects of another person's sin and release that person from liability to punishment. That's exactly how Christ forgave us. That's how we are to forgive one another. Amen? I hope that helps you to understand what forgiveness is, what divine forgiveness is, what Christian forgiveness is. And what I want to do now is just start journeying through what forgiveness is not. So what is what forgiveness of sins is not. It's, it's very important for us to have a working biblical definition of forgiveness, but I think also it's important to kind of demolish some of the the bad ideas and bad teachings that have been prevailing in our Christian church. Uh, one scholar says, Forgiveness is the wonderful God-given remedy for sin. It must never be cheapened by using it for lesser purposes. Amen. And that's why we need to be aware of how people have been using, even we ourselves, how we have been using for cheaper and lesser purposes and say no. That's way too beautiful. It's way too costly to be used in a cheap way. And the first thing I want to talk about is that forgiveness. Let me go back here. Forgiveness is not a feeling. That's very important. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Does forgiveness affect our feeling? Certainly. But forgiveness is not a feeling. You never hear in the scriptures expressions such as feeling like forgiving others. Or feeling like I have been forgiven. You don't find that in the scriptures. There's no such thing. Forgiveness is always a decision, an act, and a promise. The problem is we live in a feeling-driven Christianity. Everything is feeling-driven, emotional-driven, everything. And then we, we fall into the trap of making everything sentimental. So... When you do that, you have these two problems. When you feel like forgiving others, and when you feel like God has forgiven you. And that becomes two issues, two major issues. And uh, honestly, there is a book by Lewis, Lewis Smeads called Forgive and Forget, Healing the Hurts That We Don't Deserve. And this book became very, very popular in Christian circles. And sadly, this book, of course, there are some good things, but the, the, the major, the larger portion of this book is not biblical. It's unbiblical, and that spreads through the church. And according to his needs, forgiveness becomes an emotion rather than a transaction. And then everything about forgiveness is just the release of bitterness, the release of angry thoughts, angry feelings that you have. It becomes all about feelings. And that's not how forgiveness works. You'd be in a graveyard if God would work with us through feelings. Moody. No. So here's the, the first one. Feeling like I'm forgiven. I just don't feel like I'm forgiven. I just don't feel like. And then you carry guilt and you're always... And, and when you feel like that, you, you bring others with you. 
right? Because you're not joyful, you're not blessed, so you bring others down with you. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Does John say anything about feeling forgiving? David says, I confess my sins, my transgression. What did the Lord do? He forgave me. That's very important. I like what R.C. Sproul said. He says, God has promised that if you confess your sins, He will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of your unrighteousness. You don't believe that you are forgiven because you don't feel forgiven? What then? Are you trusting your feelings or the truth of God? We have to live not by your feelings, but by His truth. Your feelings are subjective, ephemeral. His word is objective. It's true. If God says, I forgive you, you are forgiven no matter how you feel. And to refuse that, forgiveness is an act of arrogance. And then he tells the story of a lady in his church. If you remember that, who always coming to him and say, I just don't feel like God has forgiven me of that sin. I keep repenting of that sin. And his pro tells her, you need to repent. I just told you I keep repenting. Now you need to repent of your arrogance and placing yourself above God. If God has declared that you're forgiven, who are you now to judge if he has forgiven you or not? So, the truth is, we must take our feelings subject to God's truth. Never the opposite. Never. Our feelings must always come under God's truth in all areas of our lives. We take our feelings captive. The, the Word of God is the Lord over us, not our feelings. It's a horrible thing when you're feeling driven. That's sad. The other aspect, the other problem with the feeling, the and we must realize that forgiveness is not feelings. It's just like the idea of for feeling like forgiving others. I just don't feel like forgiving you. Well, wait a second. Here's the person crying, destroyed, humble, in humility, confessing his or her sins. And you just say, I don't feel like forgiving you. Or the person has never repented. And you just say, I feel like forgiving you. Both are wrong. Both are wrong. And that's the problem with the feeling. I just, I just don't feel like forgiving you. Then people are going to say, but isn't that hypocrisy if I'm doing something that I don't feel like doing? That's hypocrisy. I don't feel like forgiving. And are you telling me that I need you? Brothers and sisters, how many things that we do that we don't feel like doing? The moms here... How many times you don't feel like getting up out of bed? Disciplining the kids? The men? How often you're exhausted and the alarm clock is going and you need to get up and go? You're going against your feelings. That's being responsible. Not hypocrisy. Amen? So when there's true repentance, we must forgive. Doesn't matter what you're feeling like. And the problem is that Feelings come and go can never be the foundation for our obedience to God's Word. Besides that, feelings are very personal and private. And that what leads to forgiveness becoming a very selfish thing. No longer forgiveness requires the involvement of the church. It's all about me. 
I want to feel better, so I forgive you. Or I want to feel angry, so I'm not going to forgive you. It becomes all about you. And suddenly, because therapeutic forgiveness is based on feelings, it's possible that people may even find necessary to forgive God so they can feel better about themselves. And that's just blasphemy. There is no such thing as forgiving yourself and forgiving God. You don't find that in the Bible. You don't forgive yourself and you don't forgive God. To forgive God implies that God's sin, and that's blasphemy. And forgiving yourself, there is no such thing. You sin against God. You need to ask His forgiveness. We will talk more about, about these things, but not right now. So, I remember reading about Martin Luther. And one, one person asked him, Luther, do you feel as if your sins were forgiven? Luther said, I don't feel that they were forgiven, but I know that they were forgiven because God says so in His Word. Amen? That's it. Another one. Forgiveness of sins is not saying it's okay. So much of what we treat as forgiveness is just saying, oh, it's okay. Oh, it's okay. Oh, it's okay. And you know, you meet with couples who have been doing this pattern their whole lives. It's okay. Oh, it's just okay. And it's not okay, and it will not be okay. Because not, that's not the biblical way of dealing with sin. It's okay. It's okay. It's not okay. God has given us means to deal with sin. When we sin with one another, against one another. And He's not just saying it's okay. Forgiveness is a transaction where repentance and confession lead to forgiveness. The erasing of debt. Sandy writes, the very fact that forgiveness is needed and granted indicates that what someone did was wrong and inexcusable. Forgiveness says, we both know that what you did was wrong and without excuse. But since God has forgiven me, I forgive you. Because forgiveness deals, deals honestly with sin, it brings a freedom that no amount of excusing could ever hope to provide. You know, and then some people started getting confused about the, the vertical aspect when you place before the Lord as if He's just ignoring the sin. No. The fact that you're bringing to the Lord implies that it's sin and needs to be dealt with. And it's not just for you to say, oh, that's okay. If there is sin, we need to deal with that. And sometimes I, I have seen in, in, in the church life... Uh, John sins. John comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, I was thinking about how I spoke to you. The Lord convicted me that was sin. I know that you never said anything, but I'm coming to you. Would you please forgive me, brother? And Joseph says, ah, It's okay. Don't worry about that. That's not biblical. And that's not right. First of all, if there was sin and if the Lord literally led them into repentance, you need to say, of course I forgive you. The transaction. And if you don't know how that was sin, bring up the conversation. Oh, John, I love you. I never thought that you sinned against me. Explain to me why you think that you sinned against me. 
Oh, because I said that and that, that. Oh, yes, brother, I forgive you, of course. But not just, oh, it's okay. It's okay. No. Forgiveness is too beautiful and too complex for us to be treating like that. Amen? Use the opportunities. Use the opportunities to grow and cause others to grow. We're going to talk more about the I'm sorry. That's not repentance. Use the opportunity to, to teach people. What, what do you mean by I'm sorry? You're a brother or sister in Christ. What do you mean by that? No. Whoa. I just feel, okay, here's how repentance works. And of course, use the opportunity to teach, to grow with each other. Amen? Instead of just, oh, it's okay. It's okay. No, it's not okay. Uh, and, and lastly, here, what forgiveness of sin is not is forgiveness is not forgetting. We often hear forgive and what? Forget. And of course, there is some truth to that that you should not be dwelling in, in that sin. But what people mean is just that you can simply erase that from your mind, that sin. And, that, and that's unbiblical. That's not true. Forgiveness of sins is not forgetting. Forgetting is passive. You cannot make yourself forget something. It's passive. It's funny. If you say, I'm going to forget that, I tell you, in 30 seconds, you're going to remember that thing. Because you cannot do that. That's a passive thing to forget. Forgiving is an active process where you're not bringing that thing anymore. But people will usually quote Jeremiah 31, 34. But doesn't God forget? In Jeremiah 31, he says that he forgets our sins. Or people even say the, the sea of forgetfulness. Where is that in the Bible, the sea of forgetfulness? He casts our sins upon the sea, but into the deep of the sea. But where is the sea of forgetfulness? I, I haven't found yet. If you find, please show me. But there is no such thing as amnesia. God has no amnesia. When he says, he doesn't say, I forget, I don't remember. I will remember no more. That's a covenantal language. So when a scholar says, the fact that he will not remember their sins does not mean that God will erase his, mem uh, erase his memory of them. To remember is to act upon something. You, you think about, and God remember his promise, and God remember, no, and he acts upon that. It's a covenantal language. To not remember is to not act upon it. He will not treat them as if they are sinners. So to remember no more is a covenantal decision on God's part that He will not bring and will not treat us with those sins that He forgave us. doesn't mean that He erased from His mind. No. We cannot make ourselves forget things. That would be good, right? Or no. That could be a terrible thing. Ah. Uh, some years ago, there was uh, a movement from the Roman Catholic Church. Starting the Roman Catholic Church with a, a priest, and then it started spreading to the evangelical circle, was called the Healing Memory, Healing Memory Movement. Does anybody here know about that? The Healing Memory. And, and that's the whole try to erase the, the, the painful, the, the hurts from your life. So what people would do, instead of following the biblical pattern of confronting, repenting, forgiving, reconciliation, what do you do? They would go to these gurus, these, these guys who know so much, and then these Christians would just, okay, sit down here, and now let's, let's go back to 
that time and that occasion when that thing happened. So you've got to remember when you were molested, when you were abused, when you were whatever. Go back there. And now picture Jesus. Picture Jesus walking with you. I had people doing that with me. I know that. Now picture Jesus walking with you. And now as you're going through this, as people is abusing you, picture Jesus embracing you, holding your hands. That's that. And they would say that now, that will disappear, that will vanish that memory from you. That was the healing memory. That the attempt to remove from our memories something that's impossible. We cannot forget sins that we committed and sins committed against us. We can't. Of course, sometimes, with the passing of time, that takes place. But we can't because the remembers, the thinking about those things magnify the Lord's grace in our lives. Chris Brown, he says, One of the reasons that people become so discouraged by the mental gerbil or the hamster wheel is that they expect an, an instant solution, a magic switch to help them to stop thinking about a wrong done to them. While God does sometimes give immediate victories, it's usually slow in coming. A matter of striving day after day to focus on Jesus Christ rather than focusing on ourselves and those who have inflicted our pain. You see, by not erasing from our memories the, the sins that we committed or the sins committed against us, the Lord is teaching us, the Holy Spirit is teaching us to do what? To train ourselves in godliness. And as we are singing here, to turn our eyes to Christ. David says, Psalm 51.3, For I know my transgressions and my sin is what? Ever before me. There is glory and beauty in knowing, understanding, realizing the ugliness of sins that we committed and sins committed against us. And yet by the power of the gospel, we can deal with that. God made us with memories. And the memory is important to reflect upon the glory, the mercy, the power of our God. Think about Jesus. The Bible tells us even with his glorified body, he has what in his hands? Scars. Scars in his hands. Why? We will always be reminded of our sins throughout eternity. Why? To glorify him. To lift Him up, to praise Him for saving us and delivering us and die on our behalf. So there is no forgetting. There is no forgetting. And that brings God's glory. And we carry these cars to remind us of the power of sin. So hopefully we are not going to commit that again. And the power of the gospel. That there is joy, there is peace, there is healing in God. Every time the thought of those heinous, ugly, horrible sins that we committed or, commi or were committed against us come into our minds, we must use that moment as an opportunity to do what? Dwell on that? No, to humble ourselves and cry out to the Lord, Lord, I love you. Help me. The memories of your abortion, your abuse, your infidelity, your laziness, your foolish use of money, your drunkenness, your sexual immorality, the pornographic images, the fights, and so many other sins will not vanish. You can take as much drug as you can. 
And that's what people have been doing nowadays. He's giving people drugs, maybe to help them with the guilt and the thoughts and the memories. Kind of to make them numb. Will not disappear. And not even being forgiven by God will cause those memories to disappear. And that's beautiful. That's glorious. Because we can glorify God for His grace upon us. As soon as we forget our sins, we stop praising the Lord. As soon as we stop forgetting where we came from, we stop praising the Lord. Look what Paul says in his letter to Titus. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Paul, stop! That's my past. Don't bring that up. Yes. Please bring it up. Bring that up. We need to know where we are coming from. And he says, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, renew of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We need to be mindful. We cannot forget. We cannot forget. Otherwise, we will stop praising the Lord. Similarly, he tells the church in Corinth. And he's using that to challenge them. Remember your past and remember who you, now, you are now. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says... And such, and such were what? Some of you. And such were some of us. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Don't ever buy into this garbage that forgive is forgetting. We must remember, I, I pray that the Lord will never take away my memories of from where He took me. The graveyard of sin. It's good. It's good to remember the grace, the mercy, the power of God. Praise God that He forgives us not based on His feelings, but on the work of Christ Jesus. So, if you're here this morning and you have not ran to Christ, you don't know Christ Jesus, today is the day. Today is the day. His arms are wide open to embrace you, to forgive you, run to Him, repent. He will remove the guilt. He will embrace you. The 
Because when eternity swallows you up, where will you stand? So may the Lord help us. May the Lord help us to be thankful for His forgiveness. Help us to be wise in applying this beautiful gift that He has given us. And I pray that He will make us a forgiving church. Wise, loving, holy. Amen. Lord, we come before You and we thank You for Your Word. I pray that You change us, transform us. Thank you for your mercy. Your mercy is more. Greater than our sins. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for remembering our sins no more. Thank you for canceling our debt. And Lord, help us to use the memories, the images that we have of the sins that were committed against us and sins that we committed to praise you for your goodness, to be mindful of eternity, to praise you for the pardon that we have in Christ Jesus. So help us. And as we unpack this massive subject of forgiveness, give us wisdom, Lord. Deliver us from error. And above all, help us to be more and more like Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.